So that was in September of 15. So the story goes, and this is when the crap hits the fan, is in early 16, we learned from the sponsorship group that the property manager had been committing fraud that they had basically been overstating occupancy and overstating revenues on the financial statements and leading, you know, those, which basically then you can, you can appreciate the lender gets a little angry because they just lent us 60% of the initial investment back on what they now learn are fraudulent books. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Randy Langendurfer with me today. Randy, how are things down just south of Houston, Texas? Houston, Texas. That's where I'm at. Actually looking out the window today uh, for Houston this time of year. It's rainy, cloudy, and we've been kind of having like the, the summer monsoons, I'll call it. But Jerome, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity and Hope we can build some value into your listening audience. Man, well, that's always going to happen. Anytime we have a misstep, we can learn something. So, you know, do me a favor. Tell the listeners a little bit about your background. How'd you get into multifamily? Thanks. So, Jerome, I'm, uh, as I said, currently living in Houston, Texas. I got into the real estate back in um, really about, uh, I don't know, 2010 or so. I, at the time, was living in Cleveland, Ohio. I had a brother-in-law that came to me and just told me all about single-family flips and hard money lending. And he had identified a group in Miami-Dade County that was doing the actual flips. We became hard money lenders. Pretty successful. We did 10, probably 15 or 20 different flips and really made some decent returns. But my, my, I was working for a private equity company at the time in, in the Cleveland market and that job was winding down. So I landed a a gig in Houston, Texas. I'm currently a WT employee for a large academic medical institution in Houston. Contrary to a lot of different uh, real estate people, I really don't want to quit and enjoy what I'm doing and can do both nights and weekends. But got my start in multifamily by attending a lifestyles conference here in Houston and then was in the Summerock organization in Dallas for a couple of years. And most recently, I've landed in the Rod Khalif organization. I'm a coach for uh, his students and I just... I really enjoy giving back to the the new students along the way and hopefully building into them. So I'm both a GP, a general partner, and an LP, GP in about KP 250 doors. And uh, I continue to invest in, I will always invest as an LP because I just really like the asset class and think it's really good. I'm in in several thousand doors in different states and uh, around the country and try to spread my risk across uh, different platforms that way. The beauty of syndication, owning a small part of a lot, man, that's beautiful. Yeah, I have a couple of siblings that think I'm rich because they see the number of units I'm in and you say, you got to understand I own, but that's the whole, right? As you said, the advantage, it's a small piece of a big pie spreading risk, (laughs) just like a mutual fund. I mean, you just own a small piece of something big, so... thousand percent. So you're the first person that I think I've talked to who isn't just, I guess, for the primary piece of their business, investing as a GP. 
So, you know, you've bounced around through a couple of different organizations. Do you have anything that you really like about each of the ones that you went through? Because I think people are always curious. Most don't go through multiple. Yeah, I don't know if that says something about me or the organizations, but uh, that I bounced around. But I uh, know I'm today. I, I want to be mostly. Uh, I am a GP looking for opportunities to buy with partners here in the Houston market. But concerning those organizations, I, I think they all are very good. And uh, as I talk to new people along the way, I really encourage them to get involved in those those educational arms. Even the GPs out there today, you got to continue education someplace. You got to continue to learn, network. Those are great opportunities to network. I like them. I like them all. Uh, I just think that they, they're all morphing over the time period. But I think I would say the lifestyles tends to be very Houston centric. Dallas is, uh, or I should say Sumrock is kind of uh, Dallas-centric, and I think Khalif is, is more national. And so they they all have similar products, just different, a little bit different approaches. And I, like I'm sure you have your stomping grounds where you go to get education out there. It's really just the networking and the education to meet fellow GPs and fellow investors and always find a new investors at those those opportunities. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, with having so much money spread across all these projects, they're all going perfect. You're making money everywhere. And I mean, <laughs> it's probably kind of the end of the episode, right? Invest in multifamily is good. And we should hang up now. But <laughs> but yes, I mean, for the most part, it's going very good. But, you know, as, as you tell people, and as you know, it's a business, right? And so so bad things happen, not, not bad things, bad things can happen in business. And it's how you plan for those and you mitigate the risk. I think the story I wanted to tell today is my, my very first investment as an LP, I had gotten involved in, and I mentioned in the Sumrock organization, I had identified, uh, I had was still working, was still just learning, and I didn't want to jump into the GP market. So I wanted to find somebody to invest in and learn from them. And I found a sponsor that I, you know, the terminology we need, we use today is no like, and trust. Uh, he was a corporate guy. I tend to gravitate towards corporate people. When I'm, when I'm investing as an LP, been very successful entrepreneur as well. And he identified this lovely asset in Port Arthur, Texas. Now, and your listening audience is saying, where the heck is Port Arthur, Texas? It's right on the Gulf, uh, about 150 miles due east of Houston, probably about halfway between Houston and Lake Charles in Louisiana, if that means anything to you. But it's right on the Gulf. It's, it's in the petrochemical industry, great blue collar community has the demographics that, you know, us syndicators are looking for, blue collar, value add opportunity. The the um, group, the syndicator group, three people, the lead one I, I really knew well, the other two I didn't know too well. They identified this 225 unit asset. I don't know, I think it was built in the early 80s, but it had fallen upon hard times and the city had taken it over. The city of Port Arthur, Texas had taken it over. And a developer had purchased it from the city and was in the process of completely rehabbing it, just doing everything new to it. So 225 doors, uh, B minus C plus property in Port Arthur, Texas, a bridge loan because it was only 77% occupied at the time. So there's one lesson I learned uh, the hard way is what's a bridge loan. (laughs) And as a a sponsor today, you know, we all try to take out long-term debt. But a bridge loan, and uh, you know the 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 model was or the plan was pretty simple. All you had to do is it was at seventy seven percent occupancy, and all you had to do is lease it up, get above ninety percent for ninety days, 
and take out agency debt and refinance it. And we'd be we'd be churning money. Man, it sounds simple enough. I mean, come on, who can't do that, right? And and really, so it is true. It it really did have a good story. But I I learned years later, this has, you know, this is increased risk. And this is a true value add. But anyhow, the good news is, is so the sponsorship group, we take it down. This is in August of 14, we bought this. August of 2014, we bought this. Property manager and comes on board. They start leasing it up. And in September of 15, 2015, 13 months later, we refinanced it. We got it up to above 90% and refinanced it, got out 60% of our money. Now, at this time, I'm thinking I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty smart guy. My first investment, 19 months later, I mean, 13 months later, I get 60% of my money back. And so, you know, we're all high-fiving and feeling pretty good about the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that was in September of 15. So the story goes, and this is when the crap hits the fan, is in early 16, we learned from the sponsorship group that the property manager had been committing fraud, that they had basically been overstating occupancy and overstating revenues on the financial statements and leading, you know, those, which basically then you, you can appreciate the lender gets a little angry because they just lend us 60% of the initial investment back on what they now learn are fraudulent books. So the lender doesn't take that too nicely. <laughs> uh, they start implementing all their contingencies with, with the loan agreements. They basically take over all the cash accounts. So the cash has to go to a lockbox. The owner and the property manager have no control over the cash at that point in time. All the funds start flowing to a lockbox. Um, and we, the sponsorship group was lucky enough to find a replacement property manager. But at that point, the bank has to approve the new property manager. Uh, you're shaking your head and you, <laughs> sounds like you've got your own horror stories. But the bank has to approve the property and it takes, it's a CMBS loan. So it's, it's even further complicated for your listeners. That adds more complexity than an agency loan. The CMBS lender has to approve the property manager. They, they are, they just approve almost everything you do at the property at that point in time. And so we change property managers. We get them to do it months later. We actually, you know, start, we really start on what you'd almost call a forensic accounting, trying to figure out what really happened. Vendor invoices start climbing up, uh, piling up, I should say. We're trying to sort all this out. And then, uh, so we're muddling. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because the lead sponsor doesn't start to, doesn't communicate as well as he did in the, in the good months. And so I'm pinging him and asking him where it's at and getting little or no responses other than, you know, what he's doing. He's not, sponsorship group isn't avoiding us or isn't being fraudulent themselves. They just didn't have any real good news to tell. But yep. property manager in 16, early 17, we transferred. So what you may recall on the great coast of uh, Texas, what happened in September of 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit. There was a little hits. bit of water. There was a little bit of water there. <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> Just a tad. So Hurricane Harvey hits, and this property literally sits three miles off the ocean. So it has, it takes out the first floor of 225 units. I mean, it wipes out 100 and 112 units with three feet of water in them. Displaced Ouch. all the tenants, displaced all the tenants, 
clear the units pretty much. There's there's still a lot of people that's, I mean, after the water subsided, people stayed in some of the second floor units. But I mean, now we had a bad story go worse. And so we were in a bad cash position. We start to fall behind on, on the property payments to the bank on the principal and interest. And again, we fall into technical default. Is, is the, and the, so the lender starts to slow the rehab dollars on that because they're trying to figure it out themselves. They're, they're slowing down reimbursements for the rehab. So where does the cash come and this compounding bad news comes in? And I guess that if there's good news at this point, the good news is, is that the sponsor, the lead sponsor, in order to keep the property moving forward, pumps in a lot of his own personal money. Wow. To float the rehab. Yeah. He he pumps in probably four, I don't know exactly, but four to five hundred thousand of his own money to keep this going. Hero. Hero. You know, there there is there is a man of integrity and the story gets better. But before the story gets better, it gets worse. So fraud, a flood, and then July fourth, twenty eighteen, we have a fire on the property, and regrettably three young children die in the fire. Yes. So a fraud, a hurricane. And now a fire that takes out probably 15 to 20 units. And regrettably, three children were died in, in the fire. A mother tragically left her three children alone in the, in the apartment while she took one of her other sick children to the hospital on kind of an emergency basis. But this is where the uh, sharks start to start to start to circle. As, as you know, if you own a property and whatever, there's, there's going to be a fire sooner or later if you're an operator on a property, but you don't want death to occur. And when death does occur, the lawyers start to circle. And uh, just like sharks, are, they're, they're swarming and just waiting for lawsuits. And so they're, it can't be avoided. So we got insurance, we, you know, we're, we're semi-protected, but again, the, the property has another hit, as we would say. And just, we, we bring in yet a, another property manager trying to turn it around. And so after, you know, so this now we're in, that's July 4th, 2018, 2019, fast forwarding comes and we, we start to really turn positive. We have some positive news. Rehab is winding up. We're leasing up units. Cash flow is starting to reappear. We still got the, the fire lawsuits out there, but it is, it is beginning to make a lot of positive progress. Now we're still behind on the mortgage payments, but the essence of it all is that it starts to look attractive and, hey, we might be able to turn this around and sell it even for a profit, of all things, if this baby really leases up. And uh, at that time, though, this is where you, another lesson learned is you realize the, the lender determines that, hey, there's meat on these bones. They're behind. I can, I can basically take this property back and I can make the profit, the profit rather than letting them have the profit. Loan to own, baby. Here we go. <laughs> Starve them out. Cut the money off so they can't finish the project. Go on. You've been there, it sounds like, regrettably. And so it, uh, in 19, it's, it's starting to hit in all cylinders. We're starting to think about possibly selling this. Uh, it begins to turn positive cash flow, fighting with the, the lead sponsors, fighting with the lender, trying to negotiate, navigate a, a soft landing for everybody. And then we all know what happens in 2020, right? The global pandemic hits. And so things start to slow down again. Lenders, lender basically starts the foreclosure process. And so I'm going to let you ask questions here in a second. But the, the good news is, is the sponsor 
is able to navigate a sale while we still own it and we get all of our money back as an investors. He gets all of he gets all of our money back and this is another lesson learned before he paid himself back. Now as you know the syndication operating agreement allows him to pay himself first in the in the order of uh, liquidation to pay himself back first then us. But this guy is a stand-up guy and pays the LPs back and then takes his own share. Long story, he ends up getting 90, 95% of his money back. But the point of it is, is the integrity of this guy is outstanding. You know, you can't get that when you're meeting him in advance. So we sell it in 2020. We all get our money back. Zero gain, but I didn't lose anything after six years as an LP. But tremendous lessons learned, Jerome. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. Wow. So what would you do different? Like, what what have you put in place now? I mean... To protect yourself, because you you said you were a KP on that deal, right? I was not a KP. I was an LP on that one. I was I was okay. just an LP. But I mean, I think the things. One lesson learned is the guy I know real well, who's a lead sponsor, says, "Don't ever do a CMBS loan. <laughs> Don't ever do a CMBS loan. They're just much more onerous and slow moving." And you know, he. This is in Texas. The office, the corporate office, was in Chicago. He flew to corporate office a couple times to try and meet with people to make things happen and. Just unbelievable. CMBS loan two. The other one is I think make sure you got a really good deep sponsorship team with some good pockets, right? Because you never know. And that's why agencies want to make sure you, you know, the syndicators have the net worth requirement on the loan so that they can foot some of this stuff if it goes bad. Communicate with your investors is another major lessons learned for me. I think I, I know he was just working it. He was spending 10, 15 hours a week, every week at this property, trying to make it happen for a year plus. But communication is key. And then the other big lesson for me, Jerome's takeaway, I mean, is property management. As, as we know, that that makes all the difference. You know, you got people on site of these multi-million dollar assets that are making 40, 50, maybe $60,000. And they're really the, the gatekeepers for us. So the, the quality property management is another big one for me. So that's the thing I've been most curious about through this journey you've taken us on. Like, how do you overstate the earnings? Because the money's got to go in the bank at some point. Where, where did the money come from or how do they correct the books? Like well, I regret I don't have all the clear details on that. But my assumption is, is that we were sending the financial reports to the bank. And, you know, since the bank at that time did not have access to the cash, all they're seeing is a financial statement. They obviously never verified it to the bank statement that we were using until things got really deep. And then that's when they that's when they implement their covenants, the loan covenants agreements, and and they take over all of the, the cash, as I said, coming in with the lockbox. 
so they can count every penny of it. Yep. They want to see everything when you lose control and they want to control everything because they're not going to lose their money. <laughs> if anybody loses money, it's going to be the people who put the risk capital in or the equity. Yeah. So you, I mean, you've really walked us down the whole journey. I, I just wish there was something I could get you to tell the <laughs> listeners that they can protect themselves. You know, there's a lot of folks who say, Hey, you know, you can get in this game. You don't need any cash. You don't need any credit. You don't need any experience. <laughs> Blah, 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 blah. I just don't subscribe to that. And it's because of situations like this. Now, I, I think I know who this operator was and kudos to him for, you know, reaching in his pocket and trying to make it right. And then landing the plane or crash landing the plane. He got hit with three things, right? He got the flood. He had the pandemic and he had somebody stealing from him and he couldn't even see that it was happening. You know, things. those yep. things. The fraud, the flood, the hurricane. I mean, the fraud, the hurricane the fire and then the pandemic oh see i really want to leave the fire out because the kids died that part just kind of broke my heart and you know what's really interesting and well let's go down this path right so your did your interest not interest insurance company cover the flood and the lost revenue since you were down yeah they did eventually they eventually but but again it's the it's the short-term location that you you know that you got to rebuild it and lease it back up before they're going to refund you the money. And so that, that literally took a couple of years. By the time the flood hit, they were rebuilt and then re-leased back up because the CMBS loan was slow to release the rehab dollars because it had fallen in, in technical default. And it was just really slow. And that's it just took literally a couple of years to do that. And then that's when the fire hit. So, um, yeah, you know. Again, for the for the operators out there, you know, everybody knows this, but what is proper uh, capitalization uh, of a property and how much do you have in reserves? And we always want to pay investors and, you know, look great in that eye, but bad things can happen. Uh, bad things can happen. And so why do you know why the owner, I mean, the deal lead didn't just do a capital call and make it everybody's problem instead of pushing cash into the, the deal? I never asked him that specifically, but I believe it's one, I think he had the wherewithal to do it. And, and he is the eternal optimist. I believe he thought it was going to happen quicker, quicker, but then it's just, it was just a compounding effect, but I don't, I don't have the specific answer to that. I, I'm going to, I'm going to chalk it up to the, his integrity, solely his integrity and wanting to, because as you know, and again, the integrity is as a, as a syndicator, as an operator, once you do that, you know, it's, it's a small world, right? Your ability to raise money in the future is going to be very limited. And he being the stand-up, he had some deep pockets. He was able to do it. And I believe that's the motivation just to do the right thing and not to just, he wanted to keep his own reputation. Yeah. Kudos to him. I mean, for one, build, amassing the wealth so he could do it too, being willing to put it on the line. So Last question, Randy, is what words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? Well, I think, you know, for for the operators out there, it's all the things we just talked about from capitalization to property management to uh, insurance, you know, uh, and the coastal properties today, those rates are just skyrocketing in the Southwest, Houston, Phoenix, Florida. As everybody knows, uh, we were just looking at a property yesterday in San Antonio and my this isn't going to be any better. So just make sure you continue to be properly insured uh, is that way. For the for the LP investor, if, for those listening, I, I, I really just say it goes back to knowing the risk, knowing the operator, right? It's 
the old horse and the jockey illustration. What's the most important, the horse or the jockey in a horse race? And where the, where the jockey is the syndicator and the horse is the submarket uh, and the multifamily illustration. It's, it's know the operator and get to know them. Ask them questions, active and engaged versus just putting down money and not looking at it again for, for five years. Good things do happen in multifamily, as we all know. But they're not always blue skies and the Disney story. Risk and reward have to be normalized because if you don't do it, you can uh, really disappoint it, man. And, I, and the other yeah. one I'm going to add to real quick is I would say, you know, be patient for the long term. As an LP, uh, this this ended up not good, but it wasn't it wasn't terrible, it wasn't bad. And you know, I've invested with this guy since, and I I probably will too again because yeah. You know, he's got a friend for life in Randy, just by the fact that he was uh, such a stand-up guy. So integrity, and I don't know how you monitor that or how you get to know that, but you know, you do over a period of time as an investor and as a as a an operator, you you get to you get to know uh, people and their and their integrity. So it's important. Sure. Well, Randy, this was phenomenal. I don't think anybody's dealt with the floor plagues <laughs> in a single deal and just going along for the ride because there's not a whole lot you could do as a LP. But I mean, being there to see the journey and finding somebody who you feel comfortable giving your money to and knowing that they're going to be a great steward. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing. And to the listeners, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. And share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.